Today we're sitting down with Leah Thomas, wellness and sustainability advocate, contributing writer at The Good Trade, and PR public engagement assistant at Patagonia. What do we think of when we hear the word green? Maybe it's just that, a color. Or perhaps it's the organic food aisle, possibly for going in the car and opting for the bike. And that come to think of it, our wardrobes might be doing more harm than good to both ourselves and the planet. Basically a whole bunch of shoulds, shooting all over ourselves. Creds to last hearing this on That's So Retrograde podcast. But we don't often relate these subject matters to the education and the accessibility surrounding them. There's just too much noise, too much to be taken care of, to be advocated for, to be judged for, too much lost, too many wrongdoings that need to be set right. It's, it's overwhelming. But maybe it's not the lack of care that's the problem, but the allowance to care, starting with ourselves. That's where Leah comes in. She'll give you a rundown from the greens on your plates to the ones that you're wearing on your back. But most importantly, the cultivation of self, the allowance, just the pure, radical self-love and respect to find your footing, you know, find your real estate, find your corner, setting boundaries, taking a face mask or two along the way, just learning to walk before you run. Taking cue from this angel in this week's episode, Green Girl Leah with Leah Thomas. A quick heads up, we're dealing with an overseas conversation here, so the audio may reflect this. Coming to you from California and Amsterdam, the Netherlands. So when I was younger, I was a lot different than how I am right now. I was kind of, so a good example would be every day when I was in elementary school, I would wait for the mail to come every day at four o'clock and I would sit on the steps and I would just be super anxious and then I'd see the mailman and I'd run out and go through the mail and see if there was anything for me and that's something that I did pretty much all of elementary school. So I kind of had things scheduled out and a few things that I just mm, liked to do that were quirky like that. Um, I think I was a little more um, liked things to kind of be in their place. I was really punctual. You know, I knew the mail was coming out a certain time every day. I liked to get places on time. And that's how I was as a kid. Also, on the brighter side, I did have a love for nature then that I have now. I used to like to go outside and get kind of dirty and just catch toads and frogs and things like that and be in nature. So I was a nature-loving control freak as a child, pretty much. And now I'm still a nature lover, but not really a control freak. So yeah, that was me when I was a kid. You've learned to loosen up a little bit. Yeah, a lot of it. What part did, say, intuition play in this? It's been a gradual process, but I think I used to kind of be a control freak because growing up, 
my parents, they're great people, but I had to kind of be more of an adult as a child than I should have been. So I really liked things kind of being in my control, and I didn't really listen to my intuition as much as a child because I felt like I didn't really have the opportunity to do so. But as I started going towards adulthood, and there was that little voice that was tugging me and tugging me in a certain direction, the more I didn't listen to it, the more things started happening that probably shouldn't have happened if I would have listened to that voice in the first place. So I think after college, I went through a major breakup situation where it was completely out of my control, just a situation that I'd never dealt with before. And it made me just really stop and think about the voice in my head and in my gut and that feeling that I was getting telling me that something was wrong and just taking the time to start meditating and listening to that voice because I realized that it could have led me in a different direction and after that I just completely started trusting my gut and going with that first instinct because a lot of times it's right so yeah, it's been a gradual process, but I think certain things that come up in life when something is just so far out of your control, and that usually happens at some point in adulthood, um, that kind of pushed me in a direction of just learning to trust myself a little bit more. Giving space, being able to take that space to really just sit with yourself. That's Yeah, exactly. And not a lot of people, it's like it is a privilege as well. In today's age, if there's just so much going on and we don't actually like have that for ourselves. I find a lot of people they think it's selfish and they take that kind of perspective of well you know self-care and the selfishness surrounding that it's it's just it can be a really vicious circle. Yeah I agree. Um, but in terms of what you do as work so mm-hmm. I mean you have your foot in two worlds, the best of both <laughs> worlds. So you work in communications at Patagonia, yes. um, but you're also the founder of Green Girl Leia, the blog. And yes. so the two must feed pretty well to each other with regards to how aligned, say, the skill sets are when they provide, well, like what they provide in navigating sustainability and advocating for wellness. So I'd like you to, in terms of your background, break that down a little bit. Okay. Yeah, those two things really, I got really lucky because they do go hand in hand. Um, My background is in environmental science and policy, so I've always loved environmentalism, but I've always been a writer on the side. So in college, I was doing a lot of freelance writing and writing for a lot of wellness websites. And I knew that I wanted to do both, so be in the environmental space, but also the communication space. So I started my blog before Patagonia, and I think that kind of helped with getting the job at Patagonia. Um, Yeah, so they're both just really fun, and I enjoy what I do at both places. I love working on communications and PR and doing all that with Patagonia. I love sustainable apparel, so marketing that is just really honestly my dream job. I've been there for eight months, so I'm still pretty bright-eyed about all that. And then with Green Girl Leah, that's a lot of fun, too, because I can kind of, at this point in its journey, it's been about two years, and I have a little bit more say about the companies that I work with and promote and the kind of content that I put out, and I feel really comfortable being vulnerable with my followers. So 
you know, in Patagonia, they're really supportive. So it's a great situation right now that I, I really, really, I really feel lucky to have. And you mentioned that you were writing for wellness platforms while you were at college as well. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Super random, actually. So I was getting my hair done, and I have really curly, natural hair. And I was going to school in Orange County. And being African-American, like my hair texture is more of an Afro-type like thick texture. So I had to go all the way to L.A. to find someone to get my hair done. While I was getting my hair done, I was talking to the stylist about my hair struggles and how I love to write. And she's like, oh, um, have you seen the movie Dope? She's like, I do the hair for this lady that's in the movie Dope. And she's looking to start this website. Like, I feel like you'd be really good for it. So she put me in contact with actress Kimberly Elise. And I started working for her website and helping build that up. So that was an incredible experience to have starting my sophomore year. Really, really random, just through networking. And through that, I started writing about sustainability and wellness. And then also on the side, I started writing about social justice a little bit more. And it was just such a beautiful outlet for me to just get everything out and just really solidified my love for writing and being able to do that during school when there are a lot of things going on in the media, like there's Ferguson happening, there's a lot of civil unrest happening. It was a great place for me to just get my feelings out there, so very therapeutic. So that's how that started for me, a random salon appointment, and just trusting that gut feeling of, you know what, I think I'm going to venture all the way out to L.A. to get yeah. my This is random, <laughs> but I'm going to do it, and it worked out, and that's how a lot of things have really happened in my life, just kind of trusting that feeling of, you know what, I think I should probably do this, and also just be a nice person, and then things just kind of sort of happen, so that's how I got into writing. <laughs> And your peers at the time, how did they, um, did you find that there was a strong community surrounding what you were doing? Uh, can you repeat that? Did you find that there was a strong community with surrounding what you were writing about and your peers, did they resonate with the content or was it more so something that was separated from that college lifestyle? I found some community at my school within my environmental science program that were really interested in what I was doing. Being in Southern California, a lot of people are kind of into wellness, but that term is interesting to me because some of it, you know, isn't necessarily about inner wellness. It might be super fitness focused or super goal focused and isn't necessarily like the brand of wellness that I kind of subscribe to, which is definitely incorporates mental wellness and just well-being. Um, So I think I found that community online for sure. And that's what really encouraged me to keep doing what I'm doing. Because through writing, I met a lot of people. Some people looked like me, some people who didn't look like me. I met a lot of women, and that was just amazing, just finding so many inspiring women online. So through writing, I found that community online. Yeah, and I mean, with Green Girl, Leah, it's, it's you're essentially an influencer. I mean... You get to, yeah, like we, we, we hit the word, um, an elevated consumer of sorts. Um, but from where you're coming from, where are you seeing, say, where do you feel businesses are lacking 
in regards to communicating on the spectrum of sustainability and ethicality and acknowledging and advocating for those who do feel alienated by, by this. It's very white um, mm-hmm. and there's just a lot of disconnect there. Yeah, it's really frustrating, and I think being a woman of color, the reason why I started my platform, I remember I was just like, I just am going to take pictures of when I go on hikes, because I don't see enough pictures of people that look like me going on hikes, and if there's one black girl who sees this picture and decides to go on a hike, then I accomplish my goal, I can delete my Instagram, because there's just, <laughs> there's not enough content, and also even in the sustainability space so that's the outdoor space but in the sustainability space it's incredibly white so if you look at the minimalist movement or living minimally for wellness goals or having all this fancy glass tupperware the only people that i can really find are primarily white women which is awesome because a lot of them are my friends but uh the brands are more so choosing to work with a certain demographic of influencers and maybe that's making people feel like living sustainably is a white thing and I've heard that several times within my community so I think brands definitely have a responsibility to look at the way that they're engaging in their influencer marketing programs and if they're only sending products or only doing paid collaborations with certain types of people then that's not fair. So that's just my food for thought in terms of diversity with influencer marketing programs. I think I think they definitely need to do a little bit better with that. And who are some of your favorite figures within the wellness? Well, more of a space of well-being. I mean, well-being, it's non-negotiable and a lot of people they don't have they don't have the means to be able to address yeah. themselves like that to be able to see themselves like that even. So the resources, people that you really feel are speaking to what you align with, who who are these figures? I absolutely adore Ruthie Lindsay. I don't know if you follow her, but she has an incredible account, uh, an incredible account, an incredible story of, you know, pain and trauma and overcoming, like, chronic pain. So Ruthie Lindsay is really amazing and just a good person overall. I also really love Layla Delia. She's incredible, has great words and poetry and posts that are just incredible, and she's also a woman of color. I also really like Alex L. She has a really amazing account and, you know, just keeps me going. And I also really like, there's so many people that I think are amazing, but yeah, those would probably be my top three um, that I'm following currently that I really, really like. And are there any platforms that you, not say generally like, um, I mean, we have like our individuals that we all love, um, but then also in terms of resources or articles covering like diverse topics, not only within wellness, but sustainability as well because that's the the two are so closely correlated yeah i also contribute to a website called the good trade and the good trade is one of my favorite websites it's really inclusive they talk about sustainability and wellness and everything in between i really like that website not just because i contribute to them but even before i started contributing contributing to them I remember just reaching out to them and being like 
you guys are amazing. Can I just send you stuff? Like, can I just send you an article? You don't even have to pay me. I just want to be a part of this or how can I get involved? And I haven't really had that feeling with the platform in a long time, but what they're doing is just right in my opinion. So I would say the good trade is a great, great, great place to start. And then in terms of Patagonia, um, you're putting into effect essentially the language of a company. And I can only imagine that's insane and valuable insight as to how the integrity of the brand is quite literally living and breathing alongside society and what that exchange between brand and consumer looks like. So from where you're coming from, where do you see not the brand per se, but consumers struggle with sustainability? Is it more within a perspective switch or is it even just an upkeep of say clothing? I think one of the difficult things to bring across and not speaking for Patagonia, but just sustainable apparel in general or sustainable companies is the messaging of price point because with fast fashion, And with things, you know, a shirt being $5 at certain stores, and then if you want to shop sustainably, it's very rare if you're getting something that's fair trade and also made using organic materials or recycled materials that it's going to be at a similar price point as fast fashion. So educating consumers on maybe purchasing less but purchasing something that will last you potentially for a lifetime that might be two times or sometimes three times the amount as a fast fashion piece, that can be hard to communicate because people are saying, this product is so expensive. I don't understand. This is so unattainable. But really breaking down the metrics of why something is at a certain price point and if it's justified. Because there are a lot of companies that I've seen that are selling dresses for three or four hundred dollars. And that price might not necessarily be justified in their supply chain, even if they're doing everything right um, sustainably. But there are a lot of other companies where the price point might be justified. So if you look at Everlane or Madewell or Patagonia or companies like that, the price point at Madewell or Everlane might be slightly more expensive or you know a bit more expensive than, say, H&M, but they're doing a lot to make their supply chain more sustainable and also more equitable. So I think that's a big challenge for sustainable apparel brands in general, communicating that messaging. But it's important that they do so because if they do so, then hopefully that will spread across the industry. But it's it's a hard, a hard place. Yeah. And say, say I were someone who is completely new to this and I don't know what goes into the manufacturing. I don't know any of the steps. How do you, mm-hmm. how do you communicate? Like what, what's that dialogue look like? So for me personally or as a brand? As a brand. As a brand, I can't speak too much to that because there's a lot of other you know, steps that go into it with the marketing team at the company that I work for. But I think in general, it's great. So when I go on Madewell or Christy Dawn, so Christy Dawn does a really great job when you go to their website and you select a particular product, they'll even show you a picture of who's making your clothes or who sewed a particular style. And they'll also give you all the environmental facts about that piece. 
So it becomes a part of the shopping experience. So when you go online and you buy something, you can see who's making your clothes. You can learn about fair trade and learn about being paid a living wage because some people don't know. So if they go to that website and they see, oh, this person's being paid a living wage and this is being highlighted, oh no, that means that a ton of other people are being paid like five cents a day and that's terrible. So I think what they're doing and by just incorporating that story, that sustainability story or that fair trade story into the shopping experience is really effective. Yeah. And then in terms of running the blog as well, where do you feel that the upkeep of the blog and the content creation and everything that just goes into Green Girl Leah, like what tools has this given you that you feel that say your nine to five couldn't have otherwise? I, social media gives you instant feedback. So if I put something out and it's a harsh audience sometimes, even though I have a lot of really great people following me sometimes, oh, yeah. it's unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. like, sometimes I might get a thousand likes on something and then another day I'll post something and think that it's super great and then not that many people like it. And then trying to see, okay, how am I, because I I have to be really careful about the way that I'm receiving validation and that's why sometimes I take a step back from the blog or from the Instagram because I want to make sure that I'm not basing how I feel about myself in any way based on likes that I'm getting but it's also a business in a way so the likes that I'm or the engagement that I'm receiving with certain content is important for me because I want the brands that I'm representing to get you know quality content out there or I want to listen to that feedback that I'm getting if I post something that my audience is like, meh, I don't really like that. I should probably think about it a little bit. So that's been a really interesting process of just trying to maintain my overall wellness while being kind of a wellness blogger. It's really important. And if you get too deep into the analytics, sometimes it's good to just take a step back. But it can be a little overwhelming at times, but I've got it more so dialed in now and it's just a process of trial and error so I'm learning that's where I feel like the intuition really comes in and even I don't know if you per se like practice manifestation either oh Um, yeah okay yeah then I I feel like um, (laughs) social media is it's such a great tool because in terms of like manifesting you can kind of use it as like a reflection of where you're at and Mm -hmm. Yeah, like being able to see, I feel like if you intuitively weren't aligned with like, say, a post and it it just, you you know, you see it like in the numbers as well. Um, That's so true. Yeah. But how, okay, this just leads right into how do you (laughs) practice self-care? That's a good question. So I have anxiety and It's something that I've been working on and just making friends with my anxiety. I used to, I mean, clearly, if I look at my childhood, I used to sit and wait for the mailman every day at 4 a.m., like 4 p.m. So I think I had a bit of an anxious mind. Um, So into my adulthood, it's really important for me to kind of have a self-care routine because if I don't, I just feel anxious all the time and that's not fun. So I try to have 
things that I do that are just for fun, completely outside of my job and completely outside of Green Girl. I've been taking adult acoustic guitar lessons every wow. Monday, so it's <laughs> been really fun. And the class, I'm the only girl in the class, and some of the people are a little bit older, but it's just so fun for me. Um, and I'm also doing Pilates twice a week, and I try to just have a little box in my room of just art supplies that I can just open up and go through whenever I'm feeling the urge to be creative. So self-care for me looks like getting enough sleep, doing things that make me happy completely outside of work where I can kind of disconnect, and just taking the time to check in on myself a little bit. And every now and again, if that means going to therapy so I can just talk, that that's great too. And I think the stigma about therapy, hopefully that goes away. My mom's a counselor, so that's something that's always been in my life. And sometimes when things feel a little bit too big for me, it's okay to ask for help. And that's something that I'm getting used to. And also just practicing self-compassion. That's something that I have to remind myself of. I can be a really big critic for myself. I can overthink things a lot. That's that anxiety. So making sure I'm just being compassionate to myself and saying, oh, you're human. So clearly you're going to make a mistake or there's going to be a typo or something's not going to work out a certain way. So practicing self-compassion has really been a saving grace in my journey to try to practice self-care a little bit more. And then in terms of therapy as well, what was that process like in finding a therapist? Because it's, it, 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 that's exactly it. It can be a process. Um, <laughs> if you don't mind sharing, of course. Oh, of course. I, so when I was living in Orange County, I, I don't know. This is one of those things where I'm a spiritual person. I'm not particularly religious, but it was almost like like divine intervention. Um, So I remember just Googling, and it's very rare that you can make a same-day appointment, but I just scheduled the same-day appointment, and I saw this incredible therapist in Orange County and just the most compassionate person in the world. And so I just found her pretty quickly online. I mean, I've had other experiences where I didn't connect with the person as as much, but I was with her for a while. She helped me through a really tough time, through a breakup, through a life transition. And during that time when I was working with her, you know, a lot of things just started that I manifested started happening. And I think that goes to show how... Therapy isn't a solution to all your problems, but it can help you answer a lot of questions that you might already have the answers inside of you that you just need to bring out. And after that, after going to therapy, I got, you know, my dream job, my friendships, my relationships were starting to blossom a lot more. So I'm really, really grateful for that. When I moved, that was an interesting transition because I had been seeing a therapist for a couple of months and then I moved three hours away, not knowing anyone, and then was just thrown into this world. It was an amazing adventure, but it's always hard to uproot and then try to create a support system somewhere else. So I didn't have a therapist for the first couple months I moved here. And then I found like an online situation where I can video chat with someone or I can touch bases with my therapist in Orange County via video chat like once a month if I want to and that's been interesting but I think it's just a process of trial and error and if you're not connecting with someone it's okay to go to someone else and to kind of figure it out but I've just gotten really lucky with that. I know that 
a lot of people are suffering with the physicality of their body these the bodies these days yeah. as well and mm-hmm. you know we're seeing this being reflected on a cellular level and i don't i don't know if um if you struggle with any of this um but i also, I also just want to touch on with guests in terms of what physically they may be struggling with um and how they deal with it in this day and age because you know our soils are depleted of minerals mm-hmm. and food security is such a problem and you know it's you people they don't know where to turn per se and just kind of opening that dialogue up a little bit and not having it be so you know the white revolving doors of a hospital and hope yes. is so important so i'm not sure if there's anything that you struggle with or if you if you don't want to share just let me know uh, but i just want to put it out there yeah so i think so i've alluded to going through a tough time after college and i think a lot of people do so i was just trying to figure out who i was i was working two jobs right after college i was in a relationship that wasn't the healthiest and i was really just constantly in survival mode like how am i going to make this next paycheck how am i going to pay rent how am i going to survive in california how am i going to take care of my boyfriend who doesn't have a job like that was not a good situation oh my god and um the body always keeps score I remember before I started my job right after college I was in the hospital my I was throwing up bile so I was throwing up green and I couldn't keep food down I thought my insides were just exploding and I remember going to the hospital twice and they were doing all these tests running all these tests on me and I had like a terrible kidney infection I also had gastritis my organs were inflamed I didn't know what was going on they were (laughs) they were like your stomach is completely bare you just have to eat like peanut butter and be on a liquid diet. And I remember how stressed I was, but I got out the hospital the next day, started my new job, didn't really tell that many people what was going on, tried to keep trudging through life and going through everything while I was just released from the hospital. So that was clearly not good for my no, body. No. And I, yeah. <laughs> uh, no. No, but that just goes to show my mindset about a year and a half ago, or I guess it's two years ago. I was living in survival mode, and my body was telling me, this isn't right. This is not going to work for you. I was losing weight. I didn't have weight to lose. I was around 100 pounds and on, like, liquids. So I definitely, looking back at that, I feel very compassionate for that girl that I was that was trying to be a rock star in the workplace. But that's not how anyone needs to be living. You don't need to, you know, kill yourself by trying to achieve a certain level of success. And then also, I think I was trying to take care of a lot of other people and not really taking care of myself. Um, this kind of is talking about mental well-being and physical well-being, but they kind of merge together. And I think the biggest takeaway from that situation was I think I thought my lack of boundaries in the workplace and friendships and romantic relationships meant that I loved people so much, but really it just meant that I didn't love myself enough. I thought because I was going above and beyond to show up at work and cutting off my hospital band and showing up and being like, hey, I'm here, let me, you know, work my all. I thought that was me loving other people or showing my dedication, but again, it just wasn't showing that dedication and commitment to myself. So 
that's a cautionary tale. And thankfully I'm healthy now and I'm okay now. But that just goes to show that the body always keeps score of your stress and that you need to take time to nurture yourself. And that's why self-care is incredibly important to me. My blog started taking off a little bit when I was more authentic. So after that whole situation, after I started being more vulnerable, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm healing right now. That's when I started really creating a community. So like you said, that manifestation and that authenticity, it shows up in engagement. And the more honest I was with people, the more I had other people be like, oh, that actually happened to me. Or, you know, so I started building a community there. So it's weird how that all works out. But I went through some really tough times with my health. And then when I started being honest about that through my recovery, that's when my blog started taking off. And I think I was in a place where having that platform would be healthy for me. Because if I had that platform when I was going through everything I was going through and being kind of a workaholic after college, then that could have been detrimental to my self-esteem. Yeah. It's almost in the healing of yourself, you're also being tasked with looking at, say, a block on self-worth. And then in having to deal with that, you kind of communicating this is where my self-worth is at now and like that's when that manifestation that vibrational wavelength comes through exactly and okay i just want to know why peanut butter though like (laughs) what what's up with the peanut butter (laughs) so i feel so bad for my like 21 or 22 year old self um like overachiever but It was because my stomach was bare. Like, I couldn't have greasy foods, but the only thing that was thick and consistency that the doctor said that would be fine was, like, peanut butter. And that was the only thing that I could really hold down, and it didn't irritate my stomach because I couldn't do anything greasy, anything spicy. I could barely eat solid foods. I was eating, uh, like, applesauce and peanut butter and smoothies and water but water even felt terrible on my stomach because it was just so bare so I just had a ton of peanut butter oh my gosh that's actually surprising I feel like peanuts can be really inflammatory and like apple, applesauce with like the sugar and smooth, it's like probably people, terrible. yeah it's like, it's like I mean people are looking at like smoothies <laughs> And they're like, oh, I'm, you know, they never really look at like, you know, fruit as sugar as well. And it just seems like a lot of inflammation is going into your stomach. I just just was not okay. Yeah, that's just what that was. But thankfully, I'm all good now. But yeah, gastritis, I don't know if you've heard of that, but it can happen from, you know, and I was also taking way too much ibuprofen. So I would get migraines probably because I was stressed. I would take ibuprofen probably a couple times a week, and that was also really messing up my stomach, and I didn't know that, so that just led to a terrible combination of, like, gastritis and ulcers and, like, internal bad stuff happening, but for some reason, the peanut butter worked for me. (laughs) Well, well, I mean, I love peanut butter, so, like, if I'm ever in a situation (laughs) like that, I'm just got my fingers crossed. (laughs) How did you set boundaries, though? Like, in seeing that there weren't enough boundaries and you weren't taking that space for yourself. How did you approach that? 
So it was a really weird situation. I keep talking about this breakup, but it was a really defining moment in my life. And I think for a lot of people that can be really defining. So I, after that, after that situation where I was kind of doing way too much for another person who probably needed help in their own way. And when I see someone that needs help, like I really want to help, but there's a certain point where that becomes like almost enabling, I think. So um, I was focusing my attention so much on them that I wasn't really focusing my time on myself. And I think they started to notice that as well. So during that breakup situation, and, and then we just didn't talk to each other ever again. After that, I really just started to think about the way that I was doing that in my work relationships or how I wasn't really advocating for myself or that it's not like I just realized that I wasn't speaking my truth or really being authentic with people because I don't like conflict. I hate conflict. I want everyone to be happy so I can be really passive in the way that I communicate. So I'm just learning to say no a lot more. And surprisingly, working in PR is helping me. And my coworkers would say that because I do a lot of, I manage the inbox for our press team, so we get a lot of requests every day for product or for different things, and at first I would write these really lengthy ways to say no, like, we might not be able to do this now, but perhaps one day, like, Down I was the line. <laughs> and my coworkers were like, say no, so I've been saying no more, and I like the responses I get, because I'll say it kindly, but assertively, and it works. And so it's been a learning process of just learning how to say no and also not taking responsibility for other people's feelings. And that's strengthened my friendships because once I allow that to happen in a friendship, it's really hard to go back. So if I'm allowing people to offload their feelings onto me and they know that I'm going to do everything to try to fix it or to make it better, you know, just allowing other people to sit with their own emotions a little bit. So that's been really helpful in establishing boundaries for sure. And then when you made that big move as well and, Mm -hmm. you know, you're in a place all of a sudden and you don't have community either, how do you go about establishing community? And even with people (laughs) that resonate with, you know, everything you're into. Yeah, that was a really... When I look back at that time, I'm really proud of myself. I don't say that a lot. Um, But I remember coming here and just saying, I was so scared. Like, I had just been through that health situation and my first year out of college, like hospital visits, therapy, breakups, everything, just moved to this town where I didn't know anybody. And I just decided that I was going to say yes to everything, which I know goes against the saying. I was also saying no. But I feel like there are seasons of life for yeses and nos. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't know anyone and it was just this incredible, empowering feeling of like, I'm where I'm supposed to be. So there's the wave that's coming and I'm going to just ride that wave because it felt like that's what I was supposed to do. And I just said yes to a lot of different opportunities to meet different people and to go on different adventures. My first week at work, I decided to go to a protest in San Francisco that a bunch of my coworkers were going to. And I was like, yeah, you know, why not? I'll just hop on a bus at 4 a.m. and show up at this protest. And I just met a lot of incredible people. I slept on the floor. Um, and oh, just the best. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so I just said yes to a lot of things and I'm really happy I did that because it's really easy to feel isolated as an adult. It's hard to make friends as an adult yeah. and I'm still learning, but that's how I kind of helped build community when I first got here. The connection after you finish, you know, high school and college, university, I mean, there are people that continue to study for Lord knows how long, but it's it's so hard as an adult Mm -hmm. and having made that, that transition from, you know, we used to be so, so like in with community, like we used to be around each other and now we're just, you know, staring at screens all day. We're outside, but we're still on the screen. I gotta ask, how... Did you land that job at Patagonia? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think that's a good question. So I applied to a job out of right out of college, and I didn't get it, which, thank God, I didn't get it. Just thank goodness gracious. So I applied to a job at Patagonia with another team when I had graduated, when I was in the hospital, all that stuff going on and I made it to the final round of interviews and I didn't get it. I was really sad, but later on, so when I didn't get it, I was working at another company and I had a very difficult situation with a coworker who was managing some of their social media and it was really awkward because I would try to help but they wouldn't allow me to help. Like they thought I was trying to take their job. It was a very weird situation. So I just decided, okay, I have no control over the way this coworker is going to treat me, but I'm just going to start building my own social media platform. And maybe my coworkers are going to look at mine and say, Oh, look, she can actually do social media. Let's let her do more of the social media stuff. So I just started building my blog kind of like a, you know what? I'll show you. I know that I'm good at this. And I was just building my blog, doing all of that. And then I just reached out to Patagonia again and said, hey, remember me? Like, here's my blog. Here's what's going on. And just kind of shot my shot in the dark. And the recruiter, who was really nice, came back to me and was like, there's actually a position that meets your qualifications to a T in the communications. (laughs) So... That was one of those things that, like I said, divine intervention or manifesting. I didn't know that by working at this company where there is a boss who wasn't going to allow me to necessarily shine and just taking that into my own hands and knowing that I was capable of doing social media and doing communications and not letting that get to me, building my own platform and learning all those skills because I'm a little defiant. And then it just ended up working out. So that's how that happened, some rejection. And, um, yeah, that led me to Patagonia. You don't need someone else to let you shine. You're already fully capable of doing that yourself. And mm-hmm. the universe aligned, and thank God you didn't get the other job because you were meant for higher things. Yeah, <laughs> so it works out how it should. Yeah. We got to move on to the food. And the elixirs. Um, And anything that just tastes good. Like, what just resonates with your taste buds? I really like, so just food in general. Even, like, recipes or, say, products. Like, brands that you support can be anything on, like, that spectrum. Yeah, I like this brand called Golden Elixir. They have a lot of 
really cool stuff like a turmeric tea that I really like. Turmeric's really great. I also really like it's great at work. We have breakfast and lunch provided for us oh and it's gosh. like organic and really good for you so I actually don't really cook that much because I just take the food from work um but yeah they have a lot of really great meat alternatives like Hungry Planet which I really like and yeah those are just a couple things that I'm really into also sorry I have to run a little soon wait how long do you have maybe like two or three minutes oh my gosh okay um Quick fire rapid round, like favorite brands okay. uh, within makeup, body care, fashion, home living, who really is like staying out to you um, in this space? I really like the brand, um, there's one called All Natural. They're really incredible and they have a really great line of foundations that are really accessible for a wide variety of people. There's also a Vapor Beauty that I really like. There's also a brand called Fur that I really like. It's called Fur Oil. Oh, I and love they them. Make, yeah, they have a great line for body hair, which I think is amazing. And yeah, those are three of my favorite brands right now. This is Leah Thomas, Guts and Glory, signing off. This was Green Girl Leah with Leah Thomas. Refer to the show notes to further get to know our guest. Share your thoughts and show us some love by subscribing or get in touch to be featured on the podcast. Released every other Monday. Thanks for lending us a mirror. Passing on the mic.